Our scripture reading today is from Psalm 147. Past few times Archie has been on vacation, I feel like he has timed his vacation perfectly with some of the most difficult or controversial passages in the New Testament. (laughs) And he claims that it was a coincidence. But today I got to pick the passage, so we're in Psalm 147. is God's word. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to them all their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry, His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that as we move through this psalm, this song of praise, that your Holy Spirit would be with us to give us understanding and insight and to change our hearts to be open to your word and what it would have to say to us. And then you would move us to praise and to obedience. Through Christ we pray, amen. There's three sections to this song of praise in Psalm 147, and each section is marked by a call to praise the Lord. And then after these calls to praise the Lord, the psalm goes on as all the psalms do to give us reasons why we should praise the Lord. There's a call to praise, and then there's reasons why we should praise the Lord. True praise is always informed and inspired by the truth of God's word, by the truth of who God is and what he has done by God's character and his mighty deeds. And here in Psalm 147, we have both of those woven throughout who God is and what he has done. And here in this song of praise, in these three sections, we see a song of praise to the God who saves, the God who provides, 
and the God who commands, the God who saves, the God who provides, and the God who commands. So section one is in verses one through six, the God who saves. You see the call to praise in verse one. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah in the Hebrew. And then in this call to praise, we see that the verse considers the goodness of praise itself. Look at the rest of verse one. It is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant. And a song of praise is fitting. It's good to praise God. It's pleasing to God when we praise him. Uh, But it's also good and pleasing to us, too. Praising our God is freeing. It's uplifting. It's good and pleasing to God. It's good and pleasing to us. But it's also good and pleasing to one another. And that's why there's such a special place for singing God's praise in the gathered assembly of the saints, in the worship service. It's good and pleasing to sing praise to God with one another. Not only private praise, but public praise. Not only individual praise, but corporate praise altogether. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. He says something I think is surprising about our praise to God. Listen to what he says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You see what Paul is saying there? He's saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as the people of God be teaching God's word to one another, be encouraging, God, be encouraging one another with the truth of God's word. And then how does he say that we do it? Singing. Have you ever thought about the fact that your praise to God is teaching one another the truth of God's word, is encouraging, maybe even challenging someone? The purpose of our songs of praise are not only to praise God and please him, but to to teach one another and encourage one another with the truth of God's word, to impress the word of Christ deeply on our hearts. And so that's why it's so important, whether our songs are old or new or fast or slow or loved or not as loved, that they're filled with the truth of scripture to teach and encourage one another. The call to praise in verse one, and then we see the reasons for praise in verses two and following, and then we see the character of God and his mighty deeds. And what I love about this psalm, and really the psalms in general and the whole Bible, is that they give us a picture of God as he really is. They give us a picture of God as he really is, not as we might imagine him to be. Because in the psalm, just back and forth, woven together, you have this picture of a God who is both great and good, of a God who is matchless in power and yet compassionate in his grace, a God of strength and a God of tenderness, a God who's transcendent, high above, and yet imminent, drawing near, coming close intimately involved, a God who's distinct from creation and yet intimately involved in creation all through the psalm. Look at this section in verses four and five. We see this greatness of God. We see his matchless power. Verses four and five, he determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names, the billions upon billions of stars and billions of galaxies. God has numbered them all. He's got pet names for them. The greatness and the power of God. Great is our Lord, verse 5, abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure or limitless. 
And yet, notice what this greatness, this matchless power, this strength, this infinite knowledge and wisdom, what is it directed to? Where is it channeled? Where is it going? Verse 6, the Lord lifts up the humble. Isn't that beautiful? Great is our Lord, abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. He can do anything he wants. So what does he want to do? Lift up the humble. That is beautiful. Look at how he lifts up the humble back in verse 2. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He builds up the people of God. You see, the emphasis here is not so much on Jerusalem as the city with walls and buildings, but the community of the city, the people of God. Look at how God builds up his people, builds up his church. He gathers in the outcasts. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. The greatness, the power, the understanding of God directed towards lifting up the humble, and building up and encouraging his people. We're so often tempted to doubt God's goodness in our lives because of our circumstances or relationships or whatever it may be. We're tempted to doubt God's goodness. Does he really care for me? Does he really understand what I'm going through? Does he really show compassion for me? You see, our logic when we approach verses like this is to say, if God is so great, if God is so powerful, if God is so high above, how could he possibly care about me? What in the world would he want to have to do with me? Little me. But that's not the logic of the Bible. The logic of the Bible is reversed. You see what the psalm is saying? If God is so great, if he's so powerful, if he can do anything he wants, if his understanding is beyond measure, if he holds together and names and numbers the billions upon billions of stars and billions of galaxies, if he's got that kind of power, don't you think he can care for you? He's able to care for you. It's the logic of Isaiah chapter 40. It's a chapter that's inspired so many songs and hymns over the years. Isaiah chapter 40, the Lord says, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and see who created these, speaking of the stars, He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, because he is strong in power, not one is missing. The greatness, the matchless power of God to number and name the stars. And then what does he ask his people? How does he apply it? He goes on to say, why do you say your way is hidden from me? In other words, why do you say that I'm not caring for you? Why do you say that I'm not watching over you? that I don't care, that I don't understand. You see, if my understanding is beyond measure, if it's limitless, doesn't it mean that I understand your cares and your concerns as well? That I understand what you're going through, that I can sympathize, that I know what's keeping you up at night, that if I number the stars, I've numbered the hairs on your head as well, and I know what's turning them gray, I care for you. His greatness, his power, his strength, his high aboveness comes down low to meet you in your need. Also, by way of application here, a challenge. Think 
God builds up his people. He builds up his church by doing what? Gathering in the outcast. Healing the brokenhearted. Binding up their wounds. I'm so thankful for all the ministry I've seen this church do over the years to do that very thing. And God calls us to keep doing that. That this church would be a place of healing for the brokenhearted. That it would be a home for the outcast. That we would use whatever little strength, whatever limited resources, whatever measure of abilities that God has given us, not for our own glory, not, not to lift ourselves up, but to lift up the humble, both here in Greenwood and throughout the nations. The God who saves. Secondly, in section two of this psalm, in verses seven through 11, we see the God who provides. You see the call to praise in verse seven. Another call to praise. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. And so you see the note in this call to praise is on thanksgiving. On thanksgiving. And that matches the reasons for praise that he goes on to give in verses eight and following, which focus on God's provision. Thankfulness for God's provision for all that he's given us. And again, in this section, we see the same thing. We see the greatness, the matchless power of God, his high aboveness, wedded with, with the compassion and care and graciousness and tenderness. Verse 8, he covers the heavens with clouds. He's high above the heavens. He's in control of the weather patterns. Yes, we know that warm air rises and expands and cools and, and the, the water vapor condenses and clings to dust particles and forms vapors and all the billions of vapors form clouds. That's the secondary cause. What's the primary cause? God covers the heavens with clouds. He's a high above the heavens. He's matchless in power. He's in control. He controls the weather patterns. He controls nature. And yet again, what is his power, his greatness directed towards? The care of his creatures, the care of his world and its inhabitants. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His matchless power directed to the care of his world and its creatures, even the smallest, even the seemingly most insignificant. So again, we have God high above the heavens, entering in, coming close, drawing near, intimately involved with his creation. And here the psalmist provides the application for us. What should the knowledge that God is the one who provides all things produce? If we know that anything good that we have is a gift of grace from God, that we depend on him just like the ravens do for absolutely everything in our lives, what should that produce in us? It should humble us. Verse 10, his delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. It should humble us. Are you a gifted athlete? Fast runner? Talented musician? Good basketball player? I'm not as good as Dr. Austin makes me out to be, but I can shoot three-pointers. <laughs> Whatever it may be, is that an occasion for boasting? For lifting yourself up above others? It's a gift from God. 
Say, well, I practiced. I've worked hard. I've disciplined my body. Who gave you your body? Who made it? Who keeps your muscles connected to your bones? Who keeps your heart beating? God did. It's a gift. Are you smart? Intellectual? Did you decide how smart you were going to be? That you were going to be smarter than your classmate? It's a gift from God. You say, oh, well, I've cultivated it. I'm, I'm widely read. I'm sophisticated. I've studied hard. Well, who gave you the opportunities to do that? Who gave you the teachers? Did you write all the books that you've read? It's a gift from God. It's by his grace. All that we have. You made a lot of money. Done well for yourself. Accomplished in your career. Well respected. Those are good things. That's fine. But is that an occasion for boasting? For bragging? For thinking higher of yourself than others around you? It's a gift from God. You say, well, I've worked hard. I've earned it. I've made the right choices. Who gave you the opportunity to even make the choices in the first place? God did. Who gave you the opportunities for your education, for your work? God did. It's a gift. Ministry. Look at how much I've done for the kingdom. Look at all the people that I'm telling, telling about Jesus or, or look at all the money I'm giving towards ministry and all that I'm accomplishing. Is that an occasion for boasting, for bragging? Well, the greatest missionary and church planter in the history of the church didn't seem to think so. What did he say? The Apostle Paul. When I am weak, he is strong. What's the point? All that we have is a gift from God. I didn't make my parents let me take piano lessons. They made me. I didn't write all the music that I play. I didn't invent the piano. It's a gift of God. I mean, everything we have is a gift from God. So again, what's the proper response if we really let that sink in? Verse 11, how should we respond? The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, who humble themselves before him, who stand in awe at his greatness and his majesty, and then those who hope in his steadfast love, those who say, everything I have is a gift from you, so I'm going to depend on you for everything. And I'm going to give you the honor and the glory. The God who provides. Lastly, the God who commands. Section 3 in verses 12 through 20. We have the call to praise once again in verse 12. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. And so you see that emphasis again, like in verse 2, on the city of God, the people of God, the community. And then in the following verses, we see that the God who, who builds up his church is the one who protects his church and, and gives peace to his church. But what I want us to focus on in this section is the main theme in verse 15 and following. On the word of God, on the command of God, verse 15, he sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. And so again, we see this, this tension of the greatness of God and the goodness of God because first we see God's powerful word in nature, his command to the whole earth, his powerful word in nature. He sends out his command to the earth and in the following verses we see that God 
who gives rain to the earth is God is the God who hurls the snowstorm. Is the God who brings the snow and then causes it to melt and gives us the changing of seasons. Again, his greatness, his strength, his power, his majesty, his transcendence, his high aboveness. Language that takes us back to the book of Job, if you're familiar with that. And you remember what God asked Job at the end of the book. Have you entered the storehouses of snow? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds? No. I'm the God who hurls the snowstorm. And yet again, the greatness and the goodness, the strength and the tenderness, the, the power and compassion, the high aboveness and the coming close and entering in and intimately involved, because we see not only does God speak a word of power in nature and hold all things together in nature, we see him speaking a word of compassion to his special people. Look at verse 19. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. So we have a word of power in nature, but at the same time we have a word of compassion and grace to his people. God speaks his word not only in creation, but also in redemption and salvation. And to accomplish that salvation, God has provided the best gift of all. For thyself, best gift divine, we're about to sing. He gives us himself. The word of God that commands the storms, that holds all things together, the billions upon billions of stars and billions upon billions of galaxies, that's keeping all of that turning, that's high above that commands nature is the word of God that became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth, grace and truth, power and compassion, strength and tenderness, high above, coming close, entering in to our world. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the great, powerful God, humbles himself to become a man and to enter in, and to come close. And Jesus Christ is the one who calls the stars by name, and he calls his children by name. His children hear his voice, and they know him. And then he humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. How does God accomplish that salvation? Again, power, grace. On the cross, it comes together. Because on the cross, Jesus was cast out so that we could be gathered in. On the cross, Jesus' body was broken so our hearts could be healed. On the cross, Jesus was treated as the wicked and cast down so that we could be lifted up in his righteousness Is there any room for boasting? This is a salvation, not for the strong, but for the weak. Not by our pleasure, but by his pleasure. Not by our choice, but his choice. The Apostle Paul, again, Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Like everything else that you have, it's what? It's a gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So what's the proper response? 
Say, Lord, I need you. I trust you. Heal me, save me through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Admit your need and depend on him. And again, the psalmist here gives us the response. He provides the application for us. Verse 20. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. And when you first read this, it sounds kind of jarring. It doesn't seem to to sound the right note. Because you've said all that we have is a gift of grace and your salvation is a gift of grace. And then you, you have the psalmist saying, he's not dealt like this with any other nation. They don't know his rules. But of course, he's not saying it like that. It's not arrogance, it's awe. Knowing that that we're God's special people only by his grace, it shouldn't produce a sense of entitlement, but of wonder. Not arrogance, but awe. Saying, the, the, the psalmist is saying, he's not dealt this way with anyone else. Oh my goodness. This is the wonder and the awe of which we're about to sing in Isaac Watts' hymn, How Sweet and Awesome is the Place says, Lord, why was I made to hear your voice and enter while there's room? When thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come, when all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast, each of us cries with thankful tongues, Lord, why was I a guest? Why in the world am I here? (laughs) Only your grace. It should arouse in us humility but also responsibility. Israel was God's chosen nation for what purpose? To be a light to the nations. And so knowing that we're God's special people should produce in us not only humility, but a sense of responsibility to be instruments of God's compassion to the world. For us then to enter in, to come close, to lift up the humble, to meet the needs of others, to spread his word of grace both here and to the nations as this church is so committed to doing. And that's why Isaac Watts' hymn moves from a sense of wonder at God's grace in his own life, and then it moves outward. He says, pity the nations, O our God. Constrain the earth to come. Send your victorious word abroad and bring the strangers home. Gather them in, Lord, and be gracious to use us. The God who saves, the God who provides, the God who commands. And with all these reasons before us that the psalmist gives, he can't help but just come back around to where he started at the end of the psalm and once again cause us to begin and to never cease to praise the Lord.